We at Harlem Baptist Church want to welcome you as you join in listening to the word preached with us. We hope that you are both challenged and encouraged as we hear from the word of God. We pray that through this recording, you would know the truth of the gospel and that you would find life in Christ. If you don't have a church home, you are always welcome to join us. If you do, we pray this would not be a substitute, but instead a supplement to the preaching of your home church. Information about Harlem Baptist, as well as other sermons and resources, can be found at our website, www.harlanbaptist.org. This morning we are continuing through our study of the book of Romans. And I want to invite you, uh, I know some of you are just standing, but I want to go ahead and just read through the text. I invite you to stand with me and read from Romans chapter 3. We're going to read verses 21 through 26, uh, or 25, my bad. Uh, but we're going to look specifically 21 uh, through 25 and the first part of 25. Uh, but I hope and pray that you uh, are encouraged with me. I'm excited to get here. So let's, let's read the text. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. You may be seated. I want to pray quickly. Father, this is one of the most powerful passages in all of your word. Lord, it is the good news or declared to us that righteousness has been made available apart from the law, apart from our works, in Jesus Christ, your Son. Father, I pray that as we look at this text, Lord, may you, Lord, give us grace to understand. May you open our hearts, open, Lord, our mind to see and hear the wonderful news of this gospel. Lord, I pray you would use your word, use your servant here this morning. May it be you who speaks and not me. Lord, may you, Lord, reveal this hope, this glorious truth to us this morning. We pray all this in the name of Christ, our Redeemer, our Savior. Amen. So we're here, and it's one of these passages that I'm both excited and I am humbled to try to cover this morning. Uh, book of Romans is so important uh, for the Christian as it is Paul's greatest summary, his most thorough explanation of what the gospel is, what it means to find salvation in Jesus Christ. And we've spent the last few weeks, uh, or even more than a few weeks, working through chapters 1, 2, and the beginning of chapter 3, and uh, what is here now is the good news. This is one of those, the greatest conjunction possibly of all of Scripture. 
But now. And if we go back, we know that from, if we look at verses, or chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, we have saw the theme of this book being laid out. And Paul summarized the theme of the book and talked about the glorious gospel in which the righteousness of God is revealed. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And he says, In this gospel, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So, this is the big theme here that we are going to see the righteousness of God revealed, but we also see that the righteous shall live by faith, which is the, what we're going to understand. How is that made possible? It means that righteousness only can come by faith. We, uh, Paul makes a great turn at verse 18 in chapter 1, and he took a turn there after he talked about the glorious gospel that he was eager to preach, and he then elaborated on one issue. From chapter 1, verse 18, all the way until chapter 3, verse 20. He focused on one issue, and one issue alone, and that is man's unrighteousness. He looked at the Gentile, he looked at how the Gentiles had laws to themselves, and he looked at the wickedness that we saw throughout the world, this rebellion against God's created order, against God's purposes for men. We saw that rebellion, and then we saw that even those who had been blessed with a, the revelation of God and His law, the Jewish people, who they saw themselves as righteous, but they saw themselves as righteous through their own self-righteousness. And they failed to see their own sin. And what Paul wanted everyone to hear, because he's writing this letter to both Jew and Gentile alike in the Roman church, he wanted them to know that there is no distinction, as he said, that Everyone will be judged by the same standard, and that standard reveals mankind to be sinful and rebellious, unrighteous, deserving the wrath of God. Verse 18, he said, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So we've been looking for the last few weeks seeing this unrighteousness, this ungodliness revealed. And it's been a hard, hard few weeks. We've had to examine our own hearts. We've had to see just how much sin has pervaded every aspect of our being. We've seen that there's a dilemma at stake. How will we be made righteous if this unrighteousness is so clearly evident in our hearts? What will we do with the wrath of God being justly revealed against all of our ungodliness? If we look at ourselves and we look at ourselves according to the standard that has been laid down here, we see we have fallen short. So what is our hope? And not just that, what is our hope? But how will God, who we know this is the glorious gospel, the gospel that talks about the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, 
How is God going to bring about salvation for a sinful mankind who has rebelled against Him without violating His own righteousness by failing to justly condemn that which is sinful? So Paul is in fact presenting the dilemma that we've reached to. We see the righteousness of God and we see the absolute unrighteousness of man, the, the wickedness of mankind evident within every single one of us. And we're left with this dilemma, how can man ever be justified? How can man ever be made righteous if he is that wicked without God having to violate his own justice, his own righteousness by providing in a way that would take away from the fact that he condemns sin, that he will deal with sin as it should be, which is through his wrath. So we come to a dilemma we should see this dilemma that, and ask this question. In light of God's righteousness and man's unrighteousness, how can God justify sinful men like you and like me without becoming unjust Himself? You know, I think it's important for us to look at this from this perspective because I think that's not often the first place that we go to when we read this text. A lot of times we're just immediately looking for the solution for ourselves without asking, well, what does this say about God's character? What does this say about God's righteousness? And is it not important to note, after all this time that Paul has been pointing out the unrighteousness of men in comparison to the righteousness of God, that his primary concern, while it is talking about the power of salvation for all who believe, his, his primary concern that's at the forefront of his mind, at the forefront of his argument, is God's character, that we would not question God's character, that we would know that God is consistent according to his character. He is consistent according to his righteousness. Because his letter is ultimately about the righteousness of God revealed. So in light of God's righteousness and man's unrighteousness, how can God justify sinful men like you and me without becoming unjust himself? This is what Paul is now answering in verses 19 and verses 21 and following. He says, but now, well, let's before we get to the but, let's go back to verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. No man, no woman can be justified before God. No man, no woman can reconcile their, their sins through their own efforts before a righteous and holy God. Our sins condemn us. As verse 23 says, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. But, but now, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. 
Now, this apart from the law goes right back to what Paul is talking about, how the righteousness is made possible. He's been addressing the Jewish issue that they think they can become righteous, they can keep the law, but they've never kept the law fully themselves. So he says, look, if you're looking to the law to justify you, you fail to see the purpose of the law, which was to show you your sin. Which which was to show you your need. And to point you to the only one who could reconcile you, who could make you holy, make you righteous. So Paul says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. He says, and aside, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, all the Old Testament, all the, the, what God had revealed to the Jewish people, all that He had written to Moses, all that the prophets had written, they all bear witness to the fact that God was going to provide salvation, but salvation that would come through Him and Him alone, not through any effort of man. Because man could not. Man would and will and always does fall short. So how would this righteousness come? It says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Righteousness through faith. Righteousness not through works. Righteousness through faith. Righteousness not by trying to keep the law. Not by trying to reform ourselves. Not by trying to change ourselves. A righteousness was made possible, was manifested apart from the law. A righteousness that comes through faith. This means that there's a righteousness made available to all who place their faith in Jesus Christ. A righteousness that's different, that is complete, because any attempt at righteousness through the law would fall short. Any attempt at righteousness through our own efforts ultimately does not compare because sin has pervaded every aspect of our being. But there's a righteousness The righteousness of God Himself through faith in Jesus Christ. So we ask, well, how is this possible? This is still not answering the dilemma. God is providing righteousness for any who will trust in Christ. God will provide righteousness for anyone who believes in Christ. How does that... How does he maintain his own righteousness and justice in that way? That's, that's a gracious gift, but that's him not punishing mankind as they should be. He's not punishing us. Where's the wrath of God poured out? There's a righteousness that's manifested apart from the law, but that righteousness is through faith in Jesus Christ. That doesn't answer the, the dilemma. How does God maintain his own righteousness? He maintains His righteousness because He justifies us by putting Christ's righteousness, Christ who is God in the flesh, the Son of God, He substitutes Him in our stead. This is righteousness through faith. This means that 
Jesus. He is the object of our faith. We see Him as the solution to the dilemma. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more about what exactly He accomplished on the cross. But Jesus is the object of our faith. That it is righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, This means that the hope of those who believe is in Christ. Their security is in Christ. Their assurance is found by looking to Him and Him alone. That means we put aside the false promises of the world. We put aside the false promises of self and self-righteousness. And we look to Christ as our only hope. You see, false faith puts its hope in something else, something other than Christ. It puts faith in ourselves, our possessions, the world, others, our works, our efforts. But what this text says, what Paul makes completely obvious, completely clear, is that righteousness can only come through faith in Jesus Christ because it is only through Him that we can be reconciled to a holy God. So this faith is not mere mental assent. It's not just belief as we moderns look at it, that we believe that something is there. James says even the demons believe and shudder. But it is faith that looks upon Christ as the object of our assurance, the object of our faith, the source of our life, the source of our reconciliation. says righteousness is available but only to those who trust in Christ well why is this so important and we have to still we're still answering the question is how does God maintain his own justification and we see this that his justification it comes as a gift he goes on he says it's for all who believe for there is no distinction so there is no distinction this is a gift for any who will believe it's a, it's a gift for any who will trust in Him. And there's no distinction. This isn't some, well, that means, well, however I can come. That means that no matter who you are, God has still promised this to you. Even as bad as you are, God has still promised you and made this possible, made this available to you. He says, for all have sinned all fall short of the glory of God. We're all starting from the same position. We are all deserving of the wrath of God. Yet, we are justified. That means we are declared to be righteous. Now, we're not righteous. We've been covering that from chapter 1, verse 18 to last week in verse 20 of chapter 3. We are not righteous, but it says here that we can be justified. We can be declared righteous. But it says by His grace as a gift. And we've got to take all that together. That there is no distinction. It's not based on anything that we do. Our justification comes as a gift. We don't deserve it. We've done nothing whatsoever to earn it. It is a gift of grace. Which means that it's been given to us unconditionally. Not because of any good that existed in us or that we would do. But God has chosen to demonstrate His grace 
to some so that he might display the glory of his goodness and grace to all. God has chosen to demonstrate his grace to some so that he might display the glory of his goodness and grace to all. This takes us right back to the dilemma that Paul has been dealing with. How will God maintain his righteousness if he's allowing, making a way for us to be to escape the punishment that we deserve. The righteousness of God revealed apart from the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a righteousness, not our own. It's a justification that's a gift from God. Here where Paul talks about this elsewhere, says in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Justified by His grace. A gift from God that we might be declared righteous apart from our works based on the work of Christ instead. In Ephesians 2, 1-5, he says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we want, all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He says we were all dead. Children of wrath. In verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So God's declared that justification a righteous account can be credited to us and not by our works, but by the work of Christ and us trusting, putting our faith, looking to Christ as the object of our faith, our security, our assurance, our Lord, our Savior. And it's all a gift of grace. It's not based on what we have done. There is no distinction. All have sinned, but God has presented Christ as the substitute. He's presented the hope and an opportunity for us to be declared righteous. Not by our works, but by His work. Now this justification, you see, it's justification 
through faith looking to Christ as our sole source of security, of assurance, of salvation. It's a complete denial of what was true in our wickedness, that we had looked to ourselves, that we had looked to our own efforts, that we had looked to the world. It's a recognition of our sin. It's a recognition of our sinfulness, our rebellion against God, and it's a repentance. It's a turning from that sin towards God and looking to Christ, who is the one who has accomplished our salvation, not us. And Paul says when you believe, when you trust in Christ, when you turn from your sin, you look to Christ, you are declared righteous, justified by His grace as a gift. So we see salvation, it's justification by faith trusting in the gift that God has done, the grace that God has shown in His Son. This is absolutely essential, but we've not even yet got to the dilemma that Paul wants us to focus on. Go back to chapter 1, verse 17. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God is revealed, not the righteousness of man, Not any efforts by man. The righteousness of God is revealed. So we have to ask the question, okay, we we see this. He says, look to Christ. He is the source of our salvation for all who trust in Christ. Our salvation comes through Him. But how is God justified in all of this? For God must, in accordance with His righteousness, according with His justice, He must punish sin. So how is God going to be justified in this? I still stand condemned. How can I be forgiven? We see in verse 24 then the answer. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received This good news of the gospel is that we no longer have to remain under the wrath of God for God has made a way for His wrath to be dealt with. But God had to deal with His wrath in a way that completely upends the way we think the world works. God in all of His righteousness looks at mankind, sees our unrighteousness, our rebellion, and God's love 
is so great that He makes a way for us to be reconciled, but knowing that we could not reconcile ourselves, He sends His own Son to be a propitiation. Propitiation by His blood. And you may be wondering what this propitiation is. That's a, that's a very important term. It's the term used to describe the atoning sacrifice in the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement when a goat is sacrificed for the sins of the nation of Israel. But this word atonement, it means making amends. Packer says it, finds it this way. It says atonement means making amends, blotting out the offense, and giving satisfaction for wrong done. Thus reconciling to oneself the alienated other and restoring the disrupted relationship. So what's happening here? Christ is put forward by God the Father as a propitiation, as a substitute to make atonement for our sins. We could never atone for our sins by our own works. We fall short. But God in His grace puts forward His Son as our substitute to take on our punishment that we did deserve. Thus, God can reconcile His rebellious, sinful creation, but only by taking on the punishment Himself on the cross. Now we saw that Paul said this is the Gospel promised beforehand, and I hope that you see right here in this moment when Christ is put forward as the propitiation by His blood to be received by faith, He is fulfilling, He's showing how Christ fulfills the promise that God made all the way back to Adam and Eve. All the way back to Abraham. When God spoke to Eve and He said, your offspring, the Satan, the serpent, will crush, will bite his heel, will, but he will crush his head. He said he will have victory over sin, over the devil. When He talked to Abraham and He made a covenant saying that you, through you, all the nations will be blessed. That I will multiply you and make you into the father of many. And he established that covenant. And we talked about this weeks ago when he, they sacrificed those animals. Split them wide open. And they're to walk through showing what would happen if they broke the covenant. And God puts Abraham to sleep and lets Abraham see him pass through the consequences. Through those dead bodies saying, I will take on the punishment if this covenant is not kept. So I will ensure that this covenant is kept. That's what's happened here. Christ has taken on the punishment. The wrath of God the Father. So that we might be reconciled. Galatians 3.13 Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The curse, the judgment that we deserved, Christ has taken for us.
righteousness of God is revealed in the fact that He has provided salvation. Demonstrating love to His creation, grace to His creation, even while maintaining His righteousness by taking on the punishment, demonstrating His both just wrath and His unfathomable love by putting forward His Son in our place. Packer goes on to say this. He says the cross had this propitiatory effect because in His suffering, Christ assumed our identity. He endured the retributive judgment that was due to us, the curse of the law, as our substitute with the damning record of our transgression nailed by God to His cross as the tally of crimes for which He was now dying. Christ, our substitute. This is the gospel promised beforehand in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 53, verses 4-6. through We see the glorious promise of the suffering servant who would come to die and and stand in for the nation of Israel, the people of God. The prophet says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by my God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. How can God justify sinful men and women like you and me. He does so by presenting His Son, God in the flesh, as our substitute. God does not have to do this. He did not have to provide a way. But God in His abundant love and grace in order to demonstrate that He is the just and the justifier, He puts forth His Son so that we might know salvation. Verse 26, which we'll talk about even more next week, we see it was to show His righteousness at the present time. Why did God do this? It was to show His righteousness. To show His righteousness and to prove without a doubt that He is righteous, that He is holy, that He is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise. Where do we stand? We stand condemned. Whether you read it in Romans, you read it in Ephesians, read it in Titus, read it in Isaiah, what's so important is despite our situation, when we stand condemned before God and He is justly standing over us, His wrath 
to be poured out on us, but God has taken action to save us. Our sins have been dealt with. God has demonstrated His love to us through His Son who died in our stead. Who took on the punishment for our sins. Is there any greater love than this? Is there any greater glory than this? That God would show grace while proving His righteousness. There's no room for us to have any confidence in ourselves. It's clear that this righteousness is not from us. It's clear we are justified not by anything that we do, but it is a gift of grace. Christ substituted for us. And how are we saved? Not by anything that we do. We're saved by faith. Christ is put forward as our atoning sacrifice. He's put forward as our propitiation to be received by faith. What does God require of us? To recognize our unrighteousness, to see His righteousness, and to trust in Him. By faith, we are saved. I love the statement from a believer. It's from a letter in the second century to Diognetus. In it, he says this, For what else but His righteousness could have covered our sins? In whom was it possible for us, the lawless and ungodly, to be justified except in the Son of God alone? Oh, the sweet exchange. Oh, the incomprehensible work of God. Oh, the unexpected blessings that the sinfulness of many should be hidden in one righteous man while the righteousness of one should justify many sinners. Oh, the sweet exchange. My sins. And God gives me righteousness. Oh, the sweet exchange. Despite our rebellion, God welcomes us by dying for us. Oh, the incomprehensible work of God. The unexpected blessing. 
sins have been dealt with. Of righteousness, not our own, secured for us. The wrath of God assuaged. God's grace revealed to us. How are we saved? By faith. By faith and by faith alone. This is good news. There is no better. I don't know where you are after hearing this. But I pray that you see the glory of God's righteousness revealed. I pray that you see the sacrifice made for you. And I want you to know what God requires of you. Not works, because you couldn't do it. It's not some kind of self-reform because you can't do it. God requires faith. He's saying, trust in me because my promises are true. Trust in me because my character does not change. Trust in me because I can prove my righteousness even in the saving of sinners. God is trustworthy. The lie all the way back from the beginning of creation from Satan himself was can you trust what God says about himself? Did God really say? At the cross God proves that his righteousness is unchanging. God proves that his love is greater than anything we can imagine. God proves that He keeps His promise to make a way. And that way is by faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. If you have never trusted in Christ, if you've never seen what this, His work, how you can be declared righteous, I pray this morning that God's Word is clear before you, clearer than my words, I hope God's words are clear to you. If there's a way for you to be declared righteous, to be justified in God's sight, and it's not through your works, but it's through the work of Christ on the cross. I hope you know that what God requires is nothing but that you would trust in Him, but that when you trust in Him, He promises to give you new life. We'll unpack that in the the weeks and months to come as we continue to understand what this justification looks like. But know that God justifies us not by our works, but by faith in what Christ has done for us. And I know when we see what God has done and we see what Christ has done in our stead, there's really only one response, and that's worship. To give God glory for what He has done to provide salvation for us.
Worship is what we read in that statement in the epistle to Diognetus. Worship that looks at what Christ has done, that trusts in Him and looks to Him as our hope, as our peace, as our security, that looks to God and says, Lord, I don't know how You could do. Your work is incomprehensible. But Lord, I trust in You. I pray this morning that you would trust in Christ. Your faith would look to Him and Him alone. That you would know that in Him your sin has been dealt with. But now, one of the greatest words in all of Scripture and all of history, But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested. I pray that you would know the righteousness of God through faith in His Son this morning.